My guest today on Mission Impact is Don Tebby. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've already heard his name. A couple guests quoted him, including Andy Robinson in episode 21, as well as Carlin Mannon in episode 27. Don is a nationally recognized expert on executive transitions. We talk about why it's so important for the exiting executive director to take care of themselves and be mindful of how they're showing up throughout the transition, not just to pay attention to the organization and its needs. The changes that a board may need to make as it manages the transitions, and why sometimes having an interim director can actually put a strain on an organization. Don Tebby is one of America's most experienced advisors on nonprofit CEO transitions and leadership succession. He is the author of Chief Executive Transitions How to Hire and Support a Nonprofit CEO and The Nonprofit CEO Succession Map Your Guide for the Journey to Life's Next Chapter. I definitely recommend both books. Mission Impact is the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategic planning consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board, and volunteers. And all of this for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Welcome, Don. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Carol. I'm excited to be here, have this chat with you, and reconnect. Absolutely. I always like to start out, and I know you've had a very long career, so this may this this the answer to this question may have changed over time. But what really drew you to the work that you do? What what motivates you, and what would you describe as your why? You know, I, 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 you sent me that question in advance, and I had to really ponder that because I think it's been more of a feeling than, you know, an explicit, um, you know, explicit calling. In fact, I did some research for one of my books on callings, and I was trying to figure out why was I attracted to this, to this uh, nonprofit sector work. But uh, it, just, it just seemed like a, a great place to really to do work that's meaningful. And that's one of the things I discovered in in doing the research on callings is that, you know, everybody has this, you know, innate desire um, for a meaningful life. And I couldn't think of any, you know, I tried business, I tried government, um, but I couldn't think of any place else that uh, where you could have a much more meaningful life than the nonprofit world. Yeah, I've definitely found that as well. I mean, it's meaningful in the work that you're doing, but I also find it, it attracts other good people and so yeah. I enjoy, uh, I, I so often really enjoy my colleagues and enjoy their thoughtfulness and their, their kind of sense of calling. Yeah, I think that for me, the, the perfect place uh, was to move into the consulting arena. I had been an executive director and deputy director for about 10 years before I moved into consulting in 1993. And I just really I just fell in love with it. You know, the opportunity to work with great people, to work with them at a very meaningful moment when they're particularly, if they're maybe not necessarily struggling, but questioning, you know, like when we're doing planning work. Um, and it also gave me a lot of flexibility to really kind of double down on, on the missions that I really care about without having the, you know, the daily grind of, of being an executive, like developmental disabilities, like food security, like um, you know, housing, uh, like, you know, child services. Um, so yeah. 
Yeah, so, getting to contribute to all of those different things rather than having to kind of pick one one major passion. Yeah. So you, as you said, you've had a long career in the sector, um, ranging over a number of different areas and, and including executive search and really kind of pioneering how many transition specialists approach executive search today. I think actually you're one of the people who's been quoted multiple times on this podcast <laughs> over the past year. So uh, kudos for that. And and Thank one you. thing that I, I especially appreciate about how you address this issue is that you address it kind of from both sides, from the point of view of the board and the organization, but then also the point of view of the long-term uh, executive director or the founder in your book, uh, The Nonprofit CEO Succession Roadmap, um, your guide for the journey to life's next chapter. Why was it important for you to address the exiting executive director directly? Well, it, it came, really came out of work that Tom Adams and I did when we were partners in a firm called Transition Guides. Uh, Tom and I met with, um, he was leading a project for the Annie Casey Foundation that was looking at the question of how can we have better transitions in the nonprofit world. And Tom um, invited a small group of practitioners, myself included. Uh, at the time, I was the interim executive director of the interim ministry network. Uh, up in well, Baltimore. that's getting a little meta. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It was. Uh, sweetest people in the world. I, I just totally love working for that board. Well, so, so Tom and I put together this program, um, two-day retreat called Next Steps, um, particularly targeting founders and long-term uh, executive directors, because those, you know, you know yourself, those are some of the, can be the, some of the most problematic, um, you know, transitions out there. And you know, I think it's just it, it, it's 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 a space where you know, governance, uh, executive leadership, and uh, strategy all come together uh, in in one moment. And so, I think it's a, a great opportunity, really, to kind of address all three of those those prongs. Also, kind of the organizational capacity. So, we started off with we were focused on executive transitions, in, you know came up with the executive transition management model and all that. And what we realized that we needed to be working with organizations earlier, you know, before they hit that moment of transition. So that led us into the succession planning work. And then um, in the early 2000s, I was looking at the, I do these deep dives every few years and the deep dive I was doing then was around um, really organizational vitality. You know, or, we had, I did 104 CEO transitions in my career and managed uh, 104 of them. And so, you know, organizations, as you know, come to you in all sorts of condition. There's the high performing organizations, there's the low performing organizations, there's the organizations that are firing their executive director. I really wanted to, to take a look at and see what care, what are the characteristics of these high vitality organizations? You know, those organizations where you walk in the front door and you can just feel it. You can feel the energy, the excitement, the commitment, uh, the impact, and what's what was going on in those organizations. And I came away, I did um, big literature review and some case study research and kind of came up with this kind of three tiers that base level, um, there's organizational stability. The, you know, the vital signs are okay. It's not at risk. It's not in the, you know, intensive care ward. The next level up was what I would call um, sustainability. And then, you know, layering on top of that 
you know, was vitality. And so you really have to, I think you have to address both the executive and board leadership. That board hires the executive, the board, you know, is responsible for, you know, shepherding the mission and shepherding impact. Uh, and obviously the executive is their key uh, partner in, in driving that impact. So I think it's terribly important to uh, address both. What we found though, with these retreats, uh, was, was we had about, I think we had about 600 alumni when I left uh, Transition Guides. We would do a couple times a year, small groups, about 25 to 30 executives. And we, when I did interviews with, uh, with the folks that, with our alumni, you know, what I found was that just really, they, they, they were our point of entry into the organization and, and, you know, the opportunity to then work, you know, with a board. So, uh, and I think also my belief is that the executive really should drive, um, initiate the succession uh, process um, and rather than the board initiating it on their behalf. Uh, so I think you know, it's, it's, you know, it's just like in any situation with a nonprofit, they're key partners. You need to be working with both of them. And what would you say is important for exiting executive directors to realize about the transition? Well, probably the thing that I heard the most and was most surprising is to a person uh, with these interviews, they, they were shocked and surprised by how emotional the process was for them. That was something that really caught them off guard. So we really tried to make sure that, that they understood that in, in, in this retreat process. So I think, that's, I think that's one thing, that's kind of a surprising thing, but I think in terms of the you know, points that I would make with executives is you probably can't start too early. You know, we were focusing on primarily trying to get to people um, you know, for three to four to five years ahead of their departure. You know, I'm thinking of one particular uh, instance. Um, uh, this executive was, you know, household name. And, you know, she was not just the, the, the leader of this nonprofit. She was a leader of a whole movement. And she was, you know, that, that's, that's a pretty hard person to replace. So um, we actually, I started talking with her 10 years before she left. And wow. I don't, I don't think that was because, you know, the, the, there needed to be some capacity building around the movement and not just inside of her, her organization. So, you know, and, and that's an extreme case, but, you know, I, usually I'd say three to four years, it's not too early, um, you know, because particularly if it's a founder or long-term executive, because there may need to be some capacity building uh, needs to take place in the organization. They may be, you know, they grew into the role as the organization grew up around them, right? And so there may be, they may be covering for somebody, you know, they, or there may be a hole in their operation or there may be somebody that they've been making do with in, in the organization. Also, there may be a, a board that's overly dependent on them and really need to do some board building work to make sure that there's a, what I would call the, the board's gone through a reformation process and it's not a friends of founder board any longer. You know, it, it's a fully functioning board that has a it has a sense of itself independent of the founder. And so I think those all the you know you just can't start uh, too early. And I think the third point that I would make is that a lot of times executives are confused about their role um, 
in, in the transition process and the succession process. But to me, there's no ambiguity. You got three jobs. Job number one, lead the organization through the transition, of course, but understand that that role is going to evolve as your departure date uh, draws closer. Job number two is to prepare yourself for that next chapter of life. Like if you're going to retire, um, you know, have something magnetic that's drawing you forward rather than a job that you're leaving. And job number three is to prepare the organization uh, for the succession and transition process. And you mentioned that um, often folks were caught off guard with how emotional the whole process was. What were some of the common things that folks experienced as they as they moved through? And um, what were some of the maybe some of the unhelpful behaviors that came out of kind of that that you know that roller coaster, that emotional roller coaster? Yeah, I think it'd be, a lot of it is driven by the, the executive's personality. Jeffrey Sonnefeld, who was at Yale University, uh, wrote a book a few years back, um, uh, The Hero's Farewell, and he outlined uh, four different character, four different uh, profiles. You know, there were the um, ambassadors, you know, people that could leave the organization gracefully or even have a continuing role with the organization, and, you know, everything was going to be just fine. Uh, governors uh, who, uh, you know, went on to other, you know, big, big jobs and kind of left the organization behind and so forth. Um, and uh, I forgot the other two right off the top of my head here, but I think it, it's you, the monarch and the steward, right? Oh, that's right. There, that's, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, steward was my term. Your uh, term. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Monarchs, you know, you know, they are going to be carried out feet first. Uh, you know, uh, or showing the door, kicking and screaming. Uh, but my my belief is that there's a, a fifth category out there, another category out there called stewards, and that's what, what I see most of uh, in in the nonprofit world. People that can, you know, leave gracefully um, and uh, but not necessarily have a continuing role um, with the organization. So I encourage the, the department executives to think of themselves as you know, stewards, and they're going to hand off the organization to um, to the, the next steward. So what would you say, you, you talked about the three tasks that that are inherent in the, um, the job of leading an organization through the transition. What can executives do to help make the transition go more smoothly? Oh, gosh. Um, pick encouraging the board chair to pick good leadership um, for the succession process. And as I said, you know, starting the succession process um, uh, earlier. And I also, I, I kind of, I was listening to uh, your interview with uh, Liz Wolf, and I take a little bit different tack about the idea of, of um, interim executives um, being kind of the standard approach for an organization. Now that was the, that is the experience in, in many religious dominations. They won't place what's called a settled pastor until there's been an interim in there for at least a year so that there is that breathing room, that separation. But the challenge, and, and I brought that into kind of the discussions with um, the Casey project and what we've found by comparing notes with Compass Point uh, in our own uh, practice is that you know, for a lot of organizations that just doesn't work, um, you know, you, you've got fundraising relationships that you need handoff, or you've got 
key government contract relationships that you need to hand off. And, you know, uh, having, having, uh, having an interim in there and doing that handoff twice, you know, just, just, just doesn't seem to work. And so that's the reason why we took a step back and said, let's start earlier, work intensively, and encourage the executives to get some coaching um, in the process so that they're, they're dealing with their own stuff about you know how the transition is going because you know the job does evolve and there you know people can feel a sense of loss when decisions are deferred to the new executive um you know and so forth one of the, the points that you made which i thought was really key was the recommendation to pick a date and stick with it not to kind of be going back and forth of well, I thought that was a good idea, but really we've got one more project to do, one more project to do, and kind of kicking the can down the road. What, how, what kind of impact have you seen that have kind of on the rest of the organization when, when um, that executive isn't, isn't firm in kind of their plans and how they move forward? Uh, yeah, one person comes to mind very clearly. I was uh, coaching him on his departure and we were having coffee uh, about a about a month after our initial uh, meeting, and he, you know, he's he then you know let out to me that he was kind of rethinking his departure date, and his longtime, well-seasoned uh, deputy um, just up and quit. Said, you know, look, I, I'm done with this. You know, you're you're never going to leave this organization. I'm going to go do something else. Uh, I think gave some notice, but you know, you know what I mean? It, it really upset the apple cart. Um, and I think it also people feel kind of whipsawed because um, you know, for the staff uh, departure, particularly of a founder or long-term executives, this may be the only boss they've ever known, right? You know, and particularly if they're long-term uh, staff members and it's unnerving for the staff. And so you don't want your best people to be, you know, because yeah, people, it's an unnerving time, and particularly if you couple that with, you know, the executive or the board being guarded about information, it can be a real stew for the staff and ripe for people, your some of your best people to, you know, look elsewhere um, because they're, you know, they questioning their career, the future with the organization. Again, you know, and there's always questions anyway. Uh, you know, will we like the new executive? Can we trust the board to pick the right person for the job? Are they going to bring in some, you know, uh, somebody that's going to bring in their own team and they want to clean house when we don't necessarily need to clean house? This is a high-performing organization, all those things. And so, uh, so I think, you know, just don't whipsaw your people. What are other mistakes that you've seen executive directors make um, as they're exiting? Well, being, there's a touchy topic there. Uh, you know, I t one of the points I try to make is you need to take responsibility. You need to take responsibility for your departure uh, and your exit plan. And then I go to try to clarify that doesn't mean usurping the board's authority and trying to force in your handpicked successor on the one hand, nor does it mean dumping everything in the board's lap and saying, hey, you know, it's their, it's their problem, it's their job. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm running the organization. Um, it, it's finding that, that, that place where you can, you know, really be a good steward of this entire process without, you know, without rough, riding roughshod over the board um, 
and not um, dumping it all in their laps, which, you know, volunteer boards are oftentimes really pretty clueless um, about, you know, the what's really needed in that in that role. Yeah, so helping them through, and uh, that's where I think, you know, bringing in also external help, because, uh, you know, if the person's a founder, it's unlikely that they've managed a transition or their own exit before um, in, in that case, and so may not know all the things that, that could be helpful to, to pay attention to as they're going through that process. Yeah, I think the other thing is that um, is paying a lot of attention, a lot of attention to the preparation for the handoff and that can be a great um comfort to your to your leadership team to your staff if they're helping to is i think it's really important that executives pay attention to the you know the, the preparation to receive and work effect organization work effectively with the new executive um and uh, and paying attention to the handoff so preparation uh for the new executive i think there's a i think there's engaging the board in some, getting the board to engage in conversations about what kind of governance relationship do they want with this new executive. You know, you spend a long time, you know, writing this profile, imagining what this new person is going to be like, getting clear about, you know, the priorities for the first 12 to 18 months of their tenure. Well, what kind of relationship do you, should you have, you know, with a new executive, particularly if you've got a founder or, or long-term uh, executive leading staff preparation, you know, getting the staff involved in, um, you know, preparing briefing materials for the new executive that have become, you know, part of the, the handoff, you know, uh, getting some bios together about, you know, what the team looks like, uh, that sort of thing. And then uh, expecting that there might be a, a little bit of overlap between you and, and your successor. And that's, that can be variable. You know, in small organizations, it may be a, a couple hours, a couple of days. In a large organization, like one of my, uh, our clients was an international health charity that had, you know, has offices all, all around the world. So the, the current CEO stayed on uh, and the, the new CEO came in uh, and worked about a month, I think, going on listening tours, visiting all the facilities, you know, uh, uh, around the world as the CEO elect. And so paying attention to how that, that handoff and making sure that the, the critical relationships get handed off, that there's briefing materials for the new executive, that there's an opportunity to really get to know the organization that they're taking over. Handoff and write-off. Hand off and write off. I love it. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com slash resources. We're back on Mission Impact. So at the end of each episode, I like to play a game where I ask one random icebreaker question. So what's something that you believed earlier in your career that you think about differently now? <laughs> oh, my. Um, gosh. Oh, well, I, I think a hard lesson I, I learned as, a, as an executive director uh, was... Um, not to expect the board to spontaneously fundraise. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Yeah. Do you mind if I go back to a point about that? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Well, so one of the things back in uh, mid '90s, um, I had a great opportunity working with uh, organizations in Silicon Valley. I was based here, but uh, worked out there mm, almost a quarter of the time. Uh, and uh, so I wrote a, a, a book for this uh, for and worked for the Center for Excellence in Nonprofits in San Jose that was started by Dean Martin when he retired. It's, uh, CEO, of, COO of Hewlett Packard. He was the board chair and he was on the Packard Foundation board and really great guy, great relationship and worked with him and Bob Daw and Bob Carden um, on the evolution of this organization for about uh, seven years. So one of the things I did with it for them was do this report, looking at governance practices and highly effective nonprofits. And it's really had a very formative impact on me because you know, I, just, I was fresh off, well, I was a fairly new consultant at that time, fresh off the heels of, of a you know, not so great relationship with a, a board. And one of the things I really saw was that really opened my eyes to that whole board executive relationship. And by the way, I loved Mary Hyland's interview uh, with you on that, on that point. Mary and I are old friends. Um, and what I came away with, and it's really had a formative help really kind of form my approach to executive transitions and the importance of following through and having that onboarding process and having an intentional relationship building process uh, with the board. Uh, what I saw in these organizations is what I came to call the board executive social contract. You know, in every work situation, we've got a literal contract. Maybe it's as simple as a job description or maybe it is a formal written uh, contract. But then we have, how do we live that? And that's the social contract. And what I saw in these organizations, by and large, they were clear about four things. Number one, they were clear about the priorities that they were pursuing together as a board and executive uh, team. You know, that might be what's in their strategic plan. It might be, you know, some developmental uh, work with the organization. It might be exploring new ventures or something like that. But they, they were clear about their priorities that they were going to work on together. They were clear about their uh, roles and responsibilities. And I know you've got an organizational development background, so it's going to make a lot of sense, I'm sure. You know, you've you got that separation of executive roles, board, uh, board roles and responsibilities. How do you tie that together? Well, you tie that together with some sort of accountability uh, mechanism. That thing, that relationship looked different in every organization, but I come, every one of those seemed to have those four characteristics to it. So that really made an impact on me. And so I brought that into the executive transition work to make sure that there's an intentional way of the board you know, an executive building uh, that relationship and that there's a process, a guided process that they could actually go through. Yeah, I had the chance to work with one organization that was going through that executive transition and kind of worked with the group before, you know, wasn't part of the search process, but then came back afterwards to help the board and the new executive director have that exact conversation about What's important to us in terms of how we work together? How are we gonna, what are the ways that we're gonna show up? What are the behaviors that we're gonna demonstrate that, gonna, that, that are gonna support, um, you know, working together in a collaborative, positive way? So, and, you know, 
then had chance to work with them um, on their strategic planning. And so then I was able to remind them, and these are the things you said you were going to do when you work together. <laughs> and none of them were, you know, they're all good things that, that most people would come up with in terms of being respectful and communicating and collaborating. But I think being explicit about it and then coming back to it and reminding yourself and then thinking, so how are we doing on that? You know, is there other places where we could, you know, kind of adjust and, and, and uh, tweak it to make it better can be really yeah. helpful. Yeah. And, ha and having it, um, being clear that the, uh, that that connecting mechanism, that evaluation um, mechanism, you know, has a, has an evolution to it, you know, and should be multi-stage at least in the first year. Cause you know, what's the big question on the board's mind? Do we hire the right person oftentimes, right? Uh, and so you want it to, you know, you want to have uh, an intentional non-obtrusive way of, of, of uh, non-intrusive way of, of, of getting that information, you know, getting, getting that assurance. So, you know, it might be the first 30 days, you know, having a how's it going conversation, uh, maybe the first quarter, that's a little bit more of a hot, hot, you know, how are you, how are you feeling about, you know, your, you know, you're taking charge uh, process because the, there is a taking charge process that John Gabarro at Harvard documented uh, a number of years ago. And so it's, you know, it's rather than a, an executive, you know, parachuting in and stepping into the role, it's oftentimes a ramping up, um, you know, process. And so understanding that and uh, have, you know, just being, you know, realistic about that evaluation process. So quarterly, first quarter, half of the year, and then, you know, maybe the annual uh, review after that. But, um, you know, thinking of it as a, as a, an assurance mechanism and, and being realistic about it because, they, you know, uh, ex you know, executives aren't omniscient, you know, they're coming into an organization, they may be, you know, confronting problems. There's oftentimes, as you know, legacy issues that don't come up, don't get out. The cat's not out of the bag until a new executive is there. And so, uh, you know, making sure that they're feeling, you know, well supported on that and everybody's being realistic about this taking charge process. Yeah. And you've got all those lines of communication open, which is exactly. really key. And yeah, so we did that once, but it doesn't mean that it's done, right? It's not something you just check off the list. It's something you come back to and what needs to be adjusted and how are, where, where are we now? And you know, what else, what, what do we need to think of? So what, what, what are you excited about? What's, what's coming up next for you? What's emerging and the work that you're doing now? Oh gosh, I've got, uh, oh, <laughs> Just a bunch of, bunch of things. I'm retooling a, a course that Susan Schaefer and I developed uh, called Going Solo, Going Big. It's you know, a course for uh, consultants. And so I'm you know, doing some uh, editing of that after um, uh, it's been out there for a couple of years online. We used to do it in person. Uh, and yeah, so I'm re retooling that. Um, I, you know, this kind of sound very nerdy, but I'm really excited about uh, a series of book discussions that I've been uh, facilitating with a group of consultants, mostly uh, alumni from our workshop. Um, last year, we worked on productivity, and this year, we're going to work on uh, communications and influence. And so doing that and uh, just, uh, and are really, really enjoying, I, you know, my practice now is primarily focused on, you know, succession planning and organizational planning. And I'm developing a process that I call impact crafting. And I am working with a 
have worked with about five organizations now with that to kind of pilot it and bring in a lot of the ideas, uh, you know, from my exec transition work, I've looked at every organization's, you know, strategic plan and asked them how they, you know, developed it and really discovered that a lot of organizations, you know, they, you know, they're, they're they think the board should do it. They think the staff should do it. Um, you know, so trying to bring that into sharp focus. And also discovered uh, in the transition work, a lot of organizations have broken business models and or the board doesn't understand how the work really gets done, you know, in the organization. So one of the pieces that I bring to an organization is really to clarify their impact statement beyond their vision, bring it down to a little bit more operational level. And then, um, you know, work with them to actually map, you know, using a variation of the business model canvas uh, to actually map how the work gets done, how they turn vision over here into impact uh, over here. And so that's been really satisfying uh, work. And I think it brings a much more, you know, grounded uh, feel to the, the you know, the, the planning process. Well, we'll probably have to have you back on to, to dig into that a little bit more because um, you, you love to use all, all the words that I like to use. So I want to want to like open the door and see what's behind it. But uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, Carol. Great talking with you. Good luck on the podcast. Loving the episodes thus far. You've got a I think you're um, I think you're really on point. Well, thank you bodies. so much. I really yeah. appreciate it. Okay. I appreciated Don's points about exiting gracefully. As a leader, as you start thinking about your next chapter, whether it is in retirement or to another organization, how can you leave well? How can you untangle your identity from your role as organizational leader? What do you want your legacy to be as you shift your focus? He also says that many people are surprised by what an emotional roller coaster a leadership transition is. For the leader themselves, they have to set a time to go and stick with it even when they may be feeling ambivalent. For board members, they have to step up in a way that they may not be used to and may not feel prepared for. And for staff, they often feel a lot of anxiety about the transition. Whether they have appreciated the leaving CEO's style or not, what comes next is unknown and out of their control. William Bridges has done a lot of significant work on transitions, and he reminds us that each transition has what Brene Brown calls a messy middle, an in-between time. You are on your way, but not quite there yet. And in our just do it culture, we just don't like that ambiguity of that in-between. So be gentle on yourself and everyone in your organization as you go through this significant time. If you'd like support in working through transition, please reach out. I work with organizations to man manage both the work of the transition as well as the emotions that emerge. Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with Don as well as any of the links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. I want to thank Nora Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as April Custer of 100 Ninjas for her production support. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on your favorite social media platform and tag us. We appreciate you helping us get the word out. Talk to you soon.